Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. I was uh, doing some research, and I, I, I never knew this before, but you know that, that Thomas Jefferson, um, he, he was a Christian. He was a self, self-proclaimed uh, Christian, and um, he would read the scriptures, and he actually he had, he had some challenges with some of the areas of scriptures that he just he just either felt uncomfortable with or he just couldn't understand. Specifically, it was the miracles in the Bible. It was some of the, uh, the phenomenons of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, some of the things that are just hard to explain, the supernatural. So Thomas Jefferson, believe it or not, Thomas Jefferson actually took a pair of scissors to his Bible, and he began to cut out uh, the areas of the Bible that made him feel uncomfortable or areas of the Bible and areas of the scripture that he just felt like, uh, I just can't really relate to that. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around. It's a little too mysterious for me. So he began to cut those things out. But what he kept was, he kept the ministry of Jesus, the areas that obviously were not the supernatural, but he kept kept the teachings of Jesus, the ethics of Jesus, uh, because he thought, this is is some of the most beautiful and precious. This is what he said. These are some of the most beautiful and precious morsels of ethics I've ever seen in my life. I've never seen anything greater than this. However, there are some things that he just said, I just can't deal with those things because I can't wrap my mind around them. So literally, he cut out the things that he didn't like, kept the things that he did like, and he pasted them together, and now we have a Thomas Jefferson version of the Bible. Now, I begin to think about that, and I think that we live in a culture that actually still does the same thing. We cut out, figuratively, we cut out uh, the areas of Scripture that make us feel uncomfortable or challenge us. Uh, or maybe push on some areas uh, that we find uh, to be just things that we like, uh, but he doesn't like, and so we just want to cut that out. And I think we do that with a lot of things, but I think the church has done that for a while when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And that's a pretty sad thing, because if we fail to talk about the Holy Spirit, if we fail to lean into the scriptures about the Holy Spirit, then like Thomas Jefferson, we have a faith full of holes. We have a shredded theology and the gospel has gaps. The Bible has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. And what I want to do is I want to just unpack some of John 14, 15, and 16 for a few moments because it's really the first times when we begin to see Jesus, the Son of God, talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then I'll share a few more verses uh, later. And today will just be some foundational work. Uh, today I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about the person of the Holy Spirit and uh, really the role of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but over the next few weeks, we'll talk about things like the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Bible has a lot to say about that, how the gifts are for the church to build people up. So we'll talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that a bit. And there's a little controversy around that, so I can't wait to unpack that one for you. Um, we're going to talk a little bit uh, about, uh, well, all kinds of good stuff. So we'll, we'll just lean into this today. John 14, uh, verse number 15. We're going to start right there. This is called the departure discourse. Remember John 13, we talked about it a few weeks ago. Jesus is sitting around the table. Uh, this is the last meal he has with his friends, the disciples. This is the Last Supper. And uh, he, you know, he washes their feet and has this sacred moment where he talks to them about serving and about forgiveness and all those things. And he breaks bread with them and eats a meal with them. And then um, Judas leaves the table and goes and betrays him. And literally, what I'm about to read to you is 
less than 12 hours, 9, 10, or 11 hours before Jesus would be hung on a cross for the sins of humanity. This, this is one of the last conversations that he has with his friends. And he begins to tell them about how he's going to have to, he's going to have to go away. He's going to have to leave. He's telling them, essentially, he's, 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 he's letting them know that, that he's about to die. Uh, but he wants to encourage them with the promise of the Holy Spirit. John 14, he says this, If you love me, verse 15, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Helper. Somebody say helper. Capital H. It's someone's name. I'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's a key phrase there. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring, you to, rem- bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Goes on in verse 16, he says, but now I am going to him who sent me. He's, he's telling them I'm about to die and I'm going to go away. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. He's like, it's going to be better for you if I go away. It's going to be to your advantage. And he says, the helper will not come to you unless I go. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And then he goes on, he says, I still have many things that I want to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not, seek, um, he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father is, has is mine. Therefore, I said um, that he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. Uh, I want to read this last verse one more time because I really like it. Uh, John 16, 7, we read it earlier. Jesus told his disciples, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. It is to your advantage. I, I, I begin to think about that last night. It was about 1.32 in the morning as I was prepping for this today and praying for you. It is to your advantage, he says to his friends, that I go. I mean, what's actually better than Jesus in the flesh with you? Like, what's, what's actually better than that? Could you imagine? I mean, this is a guy that can raise dead things back to life. Your dog get hit by a car? Jesus, help me out here. Can you help me? He want, you you want to have, like, what kind of friend is that? You got a friend like Jesus and you go to a party. All you ever need to bring is water. Some of you, that's just, all you need to bring is water. You don't have to stop and get those cheap chips and cheap snacks from Safeway. You can just roll in there with a couple jugs of water with Jesus, and it's all going to be all right. I mean, Jesus could take your Chick-fil-A, and he could multiply it. And the church said amen. We could do an altar right there. If your dog dies, he can raise it from the dead. If your mother-in-law dies, he can do the funeral. I mean... What is better? Just messing with you. What is better than having Jesus with you in the flesh? 
But for some reason, for some reason, I'm reading this and, and Jesus says, guys, trust me, trust me. He goes, I know you like me being with you, but if I go away, I'm going to send something e- even better. Is I've only, I've, I've like walked with you, but the Holy Spirit is going to be in you. He's like, I've been around you, kind of correcting you and guiding you and teaching you and all that stuff. And, and I've been trying to help you. But there's, Jesus is even saying this to them. It's only so much that I could do for you if I'm not in you. I've just walked with you, but, but I'm actually going to go away. And now the Holy Spirit is going to come and live on the inside of you. He's, as we'll see later on in a couple, couple of our talks, he's going to give you desires. He's going to give you the will. He's going to give you the power. He's going to give you the authority. It's going to be better. Jesus is telling them, I know you, you're going to miss me. I know that this is very much a challenge for you to understand, but just trust me. Trust me. I need you to have faith in what I'm telling you. It's going to be better. Your life is going to be better because of the Holy Spirit that I'm going to send. Life just gets better when you have the Holy Spirit in your life. So let me just talk about a few things that I think are foundational that we have to understand. The first one is this, write this down. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, number one, is a person. This is very important. The, the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not a power. The Holy Spirit is not just some energy. The Holy Spirit is a person. And here's why this is paramount that you understand this. Because the Holy Spirit is a person, if you don't see him as a person, then you will never develop a personal relationship with him. If the Holy Spirit is just some, some power or some kind of thing you feel or, or it's just a, some kind of energy or some kind of like I can sense the energy. If it's just that, well, then you'll always see it as some it, some thing. But when you begin to see through scriptures that the Holy Spirit is actually a person, then you can develop an intimate friendship and relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a personal being just as the Father and the Son are persons. The Spirit is not an impersonal it or simply just some influence. As a pastor, one of the, the cool things is that I get to have conversations with people after church, sometimes for the very first time they've ever been in a church environment, and they'll say things. I, I just love it. They're just doing their best to describe what they're experiencing, kind of like the moments we had earlier. They're like, they're like, oh my gosh, that was unbelievable. Like I could sense the energy in the room, especially in San Francisco. There's like energy everywhere. <clears throat> It's like I walked in this coffee shop and the energy, oh my gosh. I had a guy one time in church here. He told me afterwards, I came off the, 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 the stage and he just said, he goes, I've, he goes, I felt something in my hands, man, the energy or something. I was like hot or something. I'm like, I don't, I've never heard of that before, but that's pretty cool. Um, and, and then I, I told him, I said, you know what that was? That was God. That was the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. See, but the Holy Spirit is not just something you feel. The Holy Spirit is not just some power or some energy. He has power, but it's not just that he is power. He's a person. He's a a person. And I want to show you this in Scripture because there's a lot of doctrines and theologies around it that, that, that really say that he's just an energy and he's just a force and whatever. But we believe as a church that the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 through 11. It says, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows, um, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, here's the first thing I want to tell you. How do we know that the Holy Spirit is a person? Because number one, he has a mind. He can think. 
See, an energy or a force or a power doesn't have a mind. It doesn't have intellect. It doesn't have the ability or the capacity to reason or to, to, to think through data and things. But it says here that the Holy Spirit actually can understand the thoughts of God. The Holy Spirit can reason. He has the capacity to intellectually observe things. In other words, the Holy Spirit, he has a mind and an intellect to be able to, to think about what God thinks about, what God the Father thinks about, and he's able to understand those things, which later we'll see that he can show us those things. He can actually explore the deep thoughts of God and reveal those mysteries to us. The Holy Spirit has a mind. Look at this. The second thing is this. He has a will. Look at, look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But one and the same Spirit... Holy Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. It's speaking of the gifts of the Spirit, saying that the Holy Spirit has a will and he determines, he makes decisions on who gets what gifts. The third thing is this, is that he has emotions. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, says, um, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Well, what is it saying? In other words, it's saying by the way that you live, there's certain things that you can do that you can actually bring grief or sadness to his emotions. Now think about this. What, what constitutes a person being a person? It's having those three things. A mind, a will, and an emotions. I drew this little sketch. Don't make fun of me. I drew this little sketch. I think they're going to put it up here as I was trying to think about this. Look at my little art skills. Three components of a person. A mind. You can think. You know things. You can reason. A will. You choose. You decide. You determine things. Emotions. You feel. You feel sad. You feel mad. You feel glad. These are the three things all of us have. And this is what makes us a person. We're not an energy. We're not a force. We're not a power. We're not just some force in the atmosphere. We're energies. That's not it. Because we have these things, we're a person. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit actually has all three of these things. Mind, will, emotions. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, here's the other thing. How do we know it? That he's a person. The Spirit acts. The Holy Spirit acts in personal ways. Look at this. And I'm not going to read these texts, but I'll just show you what he does. These are just three things. He does a gazillion things, but here's just three things. In John 14, the Holy Spirit, he teaches us. Let me ask you this. Can a force teach? No. Uh, in Acts chapter 8, he commands us or instructs us. Can a force instruct or command? No. Romans chapter 8 says that he prays for us. Can an energy pray for you? No. He's a person, and he acts in personal ways. Another thing is this. Here's how we know that, that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Spirit is described in scriptures in personal terms grammatically, personal pronouns. He and him all throughout scripture, John 16, John 15, uh, actually all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, you'll see him referred to as a he. Uh, Holy Spirit, parakletos, is actually, it's a, a, it's, a, um, it's a neuter gender, but the scriptures still will use he and him throughout scriptures showing that he is a person. It's personal. Again, listen, why am I saying this? This is foundational because unless you truly grasp the idea, the truth, the principle that the Holy Spirit is a person, you will not try to develop a personal relationship with him. You gotta see this. You gotta catch this. This is a very foundational thing. Here's the second thing I want you to know about the Holy Spirit as we're jumping into this collection. The Holy Spirit is not just a person. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's, he's one of the persons within the Trinity. Trinity is triunity. It's three different persons, but they are in union as one. Trinity, it's where we get that doctrine, the doctrine of the Trinity from. And the Holy Spirit is one of the persons within the Trinity, but he is fully God. The Holy Spirit is not uh, just kind of the, that third guy that shows up to the party, you know. We all know that guy. He's not just the third guy. 
a lot of times there's confusion around this because when you read scriptures, it, what we do is we actually create an organizational chart in our head like God the Father, he's kind of in charge of everything. And then the Son, and then the Holy Spirit's over here just kind of the Aaron guy. That's what we do. But the scriptures teach us that they're actually all equal. They're, they're, co- they're all equal with one another. Uh, but you see these, these things that seem like controversies in Scripture because you see, like, the son's like, I only do what the father tells me to do. Well, that seems like he's not really equal, right? Well, here's the thing, is that they are equal in their person and in their divinity, but you see subordination within their roles and functions. It's like this. Josh and I, we actually were the only staff members at our church. Before we were staff members, we were friends. We've been friends for how long? 15 years, 15 glorious years. <clears throat> We're still friends. We're equals. We're equals. We're friends. But when it comes to our function at work, I'm his boss. And his role is, he's a subordinate to me in his role in our function, but we're still equals as friends. Jennifer and I, uh, I love you, girl. You know I love you. <laughs> We're both the Imagodia. We're made in the image of God. We're equals. The Bible is very clear. And we're, as a church, we, we're an egalitarian church. We believe that there's a place for women in ministry. We believe, yeah. amen. We, 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 we view men and women, we are equal, right? We are. We're equal. We are equal. We're equal as humans. We're equal as image bearers of God. Um, but the scriptures tell us in Ephesians that because we're husband and wife, it says, in the same way that Christ is the head of the church, so is the husband head of his wife. It, there's a subordination. Doesn't mean that I'm better than her. It's just about role and function. Does that make sense? And so the Holy Spirit is equal with God, but it's just role and function. And so what you'll see, this is beautiful. What you'll see is the Father has certain role, certain functions that He does because of His role. The Son has certain functions that He does and responsibilities because of His role. And the Holy Spirit has certain functions and responsibilities because of His role. And they don't cross into each other's roles and functions because they know their place and they're perfectly secure. I'm going to keep going. I'm just going to keep going, y'all. <laughs> Let me hurry through this because I don't have that much more time. Uh, another way we know that, that the Holy Spirit is also God is there's tons of scriptures for this. I can send them to you if you want them, but uh, I'll just read a couple things to you really quick. The Holy Spirit is called, in scripture, the Holy Spirit is called Yahweh, which is the Hebrew name for who? For God. Yahweh God. Look at this. Uh, there's two different scriptures that they, you have to read both to interpret it. But in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, this is what Isaiah said. Then I heard the Lord. That's Yahweh. In the original language, it's Yahweh. Then I heard the Lord, Yahweh, asking, whom shall I send uh, as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am. Send me. Uh, and he says, yes, go and say to the, this people, listen carefully, but do, not, um, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people. Plug their ears and shut their eyes, so on and so forth. It says all these things, but watch this. Now look at Acts chapter 28. This is in the New Testament, referring back to Isaiah chapter 6. It says, after, and after they had argued back and forth among themselves... They le- sounds like most churches. They left with this final word from Paul. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, go and say to this people, so on and so forth. He's referring back to that. Well, in chapter 6 of Isaiah, he says, then I heard Yahweh, God, say this. And then in Acts 28, he says, you know who Yahweh is? The Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is referred to as God. 
Another place the Holy Spirit is, is called the Spirit of God is in Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. Not only is he called the names of God, he is also equated with God in Scripture. Acts chapter 5, look at this. The Holy Spirit is God. That's the point I'm trying to make to you. Acts chapter 5, it says, Then Peter said to Ananias, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just, just to human beings, but to God. Remember, verse 3 says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit, you've lied to God. Who is the Holy Spirit? God. In other words, when you lie to the Holy Spirit, you are lying to God. So don't lie to the Holy Spirit. There you go. 2 Corinthians 3, look, I'll give you one more. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed, changed into his image with everlasting glory, which comes from who? The Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, the Lord and the Spirit are the same person. The Nicene Creed in like 4th century um, uh, after the church uh, began to piece together uh, a doctrinal statement um, that has lasted for, for years. It's been edited a few times, but this was uh, the original uh, in, like, I think it was 320, 330, something like that, fourth century. This is a portion of it about the Holy Spirit, because there was a lot of controversy about, is the Holy Spirit just an energy of power and all this kind of stuff? And this is what the Nicene Creed says. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the power and the Son, he, or sorry, with the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. In other words, the early church and the church for thousands of years have believed that the Holy Spirit is not only a person, but the Holy Spirit is also God. He's one of the persons of the Trinity. Now, here, here's the thing why is this important? Because the Holy Spirit is God, and if you don't see him as God, then you will never seek to know him as God, and you will never revere him in the way that he deserves. It's important that we understand that the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, that we, that we understand this is the present person of God in the earth today, that we have, this is the primary manifestation of God in the earth today, in our lives, the person of the Holy Spirit. And when we don't see him as divinity, when we don't see him as God, then we'll just kind of just, man, he's not that big of a deal. Or we'll be in a worship service and we're, we're texting on our phone while the presence of the Holy Spirit is in the room. Or, or the Holy Spirit speaks to us and tells us something and we're like, I don't really care. That is God speaking to us. So we have to see that the Holy Spirit is God. My concluding remarks on that heading is this. The Holy Spirit is fully God. The Holy Spirit is distinct but equal person in the Trinity. And here's the last one. The Holy Spirit is the primary personal experience of God in the world, in the church, and in the life of the believer. This is very important. Dr. Wayne Grudem in his Systematic Theology book says this. Since Jesus ascended into heaven after the cross, the Holy Spirit is the primary manifestation of the presence of the Trinity among us today. The Holy Spirit is the one who is most prominently present with us now. If these things are true, then it underscores the importance of, of us knowing the Holy Spirit's role in our life. If this, Think about this. I just read a lot to you, but if the Holy Spirit is the primary, like, yeah, could Jesus just like pop in here? Like, yeah, he could do it. He could totally do it. 
You don't really hear of that happening much. But if the Holy Spirit... <laughs> wasn't meant to be funny, but it was funny. <laughs> but listen to me. I want you to lean in and think about this. Just really, just let's, let's be thoughtful. If the Holy Spirit is the primary, the primary manifestation, the primary way that God manifests and reveals himself today, wouldn't it be important that we not only know him, we seek him, but we also know, well, what is his role? His, what is his relationship to me? How do I relate to him? What does he have for me? What does he want to do in my life and through my life? There's a lot of things that we could say to this, but I want to give you just this one big thing. We're going to talk a lot over the next few weeks about his role in the church and his role in our lives individually. But from the text that we read today, John 16, the Holy Spirit, here's the third point, the Holy Spirit, here's what his role is in your life. He's your helper. He wants to help you. Like, he wants to help you be a better man. He wants to help you be a better coworker. He wants to help you be a better boss, a better husband, a better friend, a better, a better son, a better daughter. He wants to help you be a better follower of Jesus. He desires to help you. John 16, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, when I come to you, the helper, the Greek word used there is parakletos. Here's what that means. Para means to come alongside. Parakletos means that the Holy Spirit, like a, like a friend, wants to come alongside you in your journey. And he wants to help you. Have you ever felt like you just, if you could just get somebody to help you with what you were doing, things would be better? As a mom, you ever been looking at those three kids running around like crazy and you got all the laundry to do. I'm thinking about my wife right now. And you just think, I wish my husband would help me. <laughs> well, the Holy Spirit's there, babe. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Last night, I wish you would have helped me with my sermon. <laughs> She's like, the Holy Spirit's there. He's going to help you. <laughs> Holy Spirit wants to help us. You know that, that thing that you just, you just wish that could just get, you could get out of your life? Guess what? The Holy Spirit wants to help you with that. The loneliness that you feel because you, you, you thought you'd be married by now, you thought you'd have a companion by now, Holy Spirit wants to help you with that. The depression that you've been fighting and you kind of feel like you're by yourself, the discouragement that you're feeling, He wants to help you with that. He wants to help you. He, he is our helper. How does He help us? I, I want to give you just three quick things and get ready to wrap up. The Holy Spirit, number one, I see in the text in John 14 is that he wants to comfort you. He wants to help you with that. There's some of you that right now, you're in a season of your life, there's so much discomfort. Discomfort in your work, discomfort in your relationships, discomfort in your finances. There's a lot of discomfort and the Holy Spirit wants to help you and he wants to, to comfort you. Chapter 14, verse 16 of the Gospel of John, he says, and I will ask the Father and he shall give you another comforter comforter, parakletos. He will come alongside you and he will, he will comfort you. I think about whenever my, one of my best friends passed away uh, 20, in 2010, a young man named Jordan. I've, I've shared his story here before, um, but it was some of the deepest grief I've ever felt in my soul. Just, I've never lost somebody that was that close to me. And I remember the best way I can describe it is like waves of grief come in. I don't know if you've ever lost someone. You ever lost, lost a, a, a child or a 
a family member or something and somebody close to you and it just, it's like you're fine one moment and then a wave of grief hits you. It's overwhelming. And then you're okay and a wave of grief hits you. And I remember I was feeling that. It felt like such deep sorrow in my soul. And I remember the only way I got through it is, is there were moments where other people would try to encourage me. My wife tried to encourage me. My mom, my sister tried to encourage me. But there's sometimes... Where, where you just need an encouragement that comes not from out here, but from in here. It's, it's something, it's the Holy Spirit. And I remember I would break away and I'd turn on some worship and I would just crowd to God and I would say, Holy Spirit, I am hurting right now. I, I, don't, like the way, I don't like the way this feels. I need help, help me. And I would feel, you know, I'd have waves of grief, but then I'd have waves of mercy, the Bible calls it waves of comfort, waves of just, it felt like the Holy Spirit just putting his arm around me and just let me cry on his shoulder. Have you ever needed just to have somebody put their arm around you and just, you just do an ugly cry on their shoulder? It's like get some boogers all on their shoulder, just like just snotting and crying everywhere. Some of you, you know what it's like to not have anybody to do that, to not have anybody just to lean over and put their arm around you and rub your back and just say, I'm here with you. Do you know that even if you feel like you don't have anybody, you have the helper, the Holy Spirit. He can bring comfort. Second one is he does this. He gives you counsel. He'll help you with this. He'll give you counsel. Goes on in, in chapter 16, verse 13, says, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you. One of the, one of the best ways the Holy Spirit can help us is by, by just saying, hey, you need to go here. You need to do this. Don't do this. Move in this direction. You need to do this with your business. You need to do this with this job. You need to decline that, that opportunity. That's not from me. There's another promotion that's coming. He will guide you like that. I'm telling you, you may think that's crazy. I, I would not be standing here today. I had six different opportunities to go to these different churches, do these things. But I'm telling you, I said, Holy Spirit, I know what I want. But where, where do you want to guide me? And we're here today because he guided us here. We're here today because the Holy Spirit guided us. This wasn't like somebody was like, hey, if you go to San Francisco, you're going to get a really large house and they're gonna, you're going to make tons of money. Go, go for it. No, that's so far from the truth. Me and the Holy Spirit are still working that thing out right now. Third one is this. How does he help us? He help, he'll help you by giving you conviction. He will convict us. Now, that, that, this word has gotten a bad rap, but it's so good. Like, we need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Like, he doesn't convict you to restrict you, but to protect you. He's like, you, you, you're, you're about to go to that place, and you send something. It's like, you don't, you don't need to go there. And he doesn't scream like, don't go. He doesn't do that. It's like, it's like I, don't, I shouldn't go there. That's the Holy Spirit. Don't talk to your wife like that. That's the Holy Spirit. Don't say that to your son. That's the Holy Spirit. Don't fudge those numbers. That's the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. You're, you're lying. Don't, you're doing that to try to make that sell. Don't do that. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. He will, do, he will speak to you. He will do that. His promptings, his nudges, his quiet voice. There are so many things I could say about that right now, but I'll, 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 I'll tell you this one last little piece. One of the convictions, ways the Holy Spirit convicts us, convicts us is not just when we're a follower of Christ and believer to guide us and direct us, and those things in righteousness. But when you're not in a place of faith in Christ, 
and you sense, like when Josh got up here earlier and you're like, you sense something, that was the, that was the Holy Spirit's conviction. Conviction, could, another word could be a convincing. He is trying to convince you. He's convincing you. Come to me. He's wooing you. He's convincing you Jesus is real. He's convincing you that your way is not the right way, that there's a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but in the end it leads to death. He's convincing you. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and that's one of the ways that he helps us. Let me just, I'm just going to rattle these off to you. The Spirit convicts us of sin and our need for Jesus in John 16. The Spirit guides us into all truth, John 16. The Spirit regenerates us in John 3. The Spirit testifies of Christ to us in John 15. The Spirit reveals Christ to us and in us in John 16. The Spirit leads us. Look, the Spirit purifies us. The Spirit empowers us. The Spirit fills us. The Spirit teaches us. The Spirit affirms us. The Spirit transforms our life and produces evidence of change in Galatians. The Spirit distributes spiritual gifts to us. The Spirit anoints us for ministry. The Spirit cleanses us. The Spirit gives us joy. The Spirit guarantees our future resurrection. The Spirit secures us until the day of redemption. The Spirit frees us and liberates us from the law and sin and death. The Spirit reveals the deep things of God to us. The Spirit reveals what has been given to us from God. The Spirit dwells and abides in us. The Spirit baptizes us in the body of Christ. The Spirit gives us hope. The Spirit unites us as a church and a people. The Spirit comforts us when we're hurting. The Spirit speaks to us, in us, and through us. Listen, for me, he corrects me when I'm wrong. He directs me when I don't know what to do. He equips me to live out my purpose. He empowers me for ministry. He anoints me for my assignment. He comforts me when I'm hurting. He strengthens me when I'm weak. He covers me when I'm stupid. He prays for me when I don't know what to say or do. And he does things for me that sometimes I'm completely unaware about. He's just working behind the scenes. That is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. Amen. Come on, I want you to bow your heads with me. I'm going to pray. and Man, my whole assignment today was just to stir you up. Basically to almost give you a, t- a little taste to where you would just you'd taste and see that the Lord is good. And you'd want more. You'd desire more. And if you want more of that in your life, I'm, I'm calling you out and I'm calling you up. For the next 21 days, let's seek the Holy Spirit in our life. Let's seek to know the person of the Holy Spirit. The manifestation of God. Let's see, God, I want to know you through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray right now for our church. God, this is what I was feeling during worship. I don't want to just be, just, I think, God, there's a lot of great churches, but I don't want to just be a church that goes through a bunch of spiritual religious motions and, and just comes to church and just kind of sings a couple songs and hears a good talk and, and goes and grabs brunch and, and just my life doesn't look powerful or supernatural or different. I don't want that. I don't want to pastor a church like that. I want to pastor a church and be a part of a community where we sense and know that your Holy Spirit is among us and in our lives and doing miraculous things and supernatural things and and where we have a personal and intimate relationship with you where you speak to us throughout our day and we can can confide in you and, and when we're hurting, we can find comfort from you. God, I don't want that. That's the early church, and that's this church. Let this be that kind of church, God, like the book of Acts, where your Holy Spirit is moving in our midst, where your Holy Spirit is healing people, where your Holy Spirit is equipping people, where your Holy Spirit is, is, is doing things in people's lives where, where it just they just look at it and they go, there is no way God's not real. He has to be real because of what I'm sensing and experiencing. I want that for our church. I want it, God. I pray that for just for our church but as individuals I pray just as Paul said he goes 
I pray that you would, you would know the love of God and that you would have an intimate friendship, fellowship with the person of the Holy Spirit. May we have that. Thanks for listening. Join us each week on the podcast or live in San Francisco, California. Keep up with life at Sozo Church by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.